Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. And now let's gear up for some generational warfare. Okay, well, maybe warfare is not the right word, but tension has seethed between young Americans and old ones since, well, today's old ones were young. The difference is that now expressions of generational angst are less likely to be rock anthems and more likely to be memes. Most recently, that included OK Boomer, a dismissive response to Baby Boomer's supposed cluelessness. So how big is the generational divide in America right now? Well, we sent our intern, Tonina Saputo, to the streets to see what you think. And here's what she learned from two millennials she found. That's Peter and Josie. What characteristics do you feel define your generation? I would say... Economic insecurity. Emotional intelligence. Dealing with late-stage capitalism. Definitely not like the degree of security that boomers had at my age, I feel like. And also probably envelopment in technology and screens. Are you familiar with the phrase, OK Boomer? Oh yes, I'm very familiar. Some people take it more seriously than others. For me, it's just sort of like poking fun at some, like if you have a boomer who says something that maybe is a little bit more old school, not in line with the realities of today, then you sort of like hit them with the, okay, boomer. Do you believe it to be ageist? Um, I mean, not, not necessarily. I, I mean, I don't know if people are offended by it when they hear it or not, but it's a little bit harsh. Probably, um, on some degree, that's ageist. I mean, you are taking, you know, some generalities about older people and um, saying stuff. But on a systemic level, I don't know, because, like, they are the ones who occupy most of the power structures. So it's like, can it really be ageist systemically, you know, if millennials are saying it, because, like, do we have the power to, like, influence them to a certain degree, so. What do you think each generation can do to better embrace each other? I mean, obviously, talking and listening and, you know, considering the things that were going on at the different times and just considering our differences. I think there needs to be a certain degree of just cultivating some more empathy. Um, and then it doesn't mean you have to sit through... Um, you know, somebody telling you like how it was in their day, like in a sort of antagonistic way. But I do feel like it's important to just learn from um, our elders and those who are younger than us as much as we can. So just listen as much as we can. And I feel like not take each other too seriously. Now, those were millennials born between 1981 and 1996, talking to Tonina Saputo. She also found some boomers and a member of the silent generation. Let's listen. So what characteristics do you feel define your generation? Hard work, education, respect for authority. Well, my dad said I was stubborn and bullheaded, but I uh, believe in Christ. I came from a family where my father, my brother, my cousins, my uncles were in the military. I believe in standing up for people's rights and fighting for them. 
Are you familiar with the phrase, okay, boomer? Oh, yes. I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with it. And how do you interpret that phrase? Um, they think everything is okay. Everything is not okay. You have to press for the mark. You have to work hard. And if you work hard, then the doors will open for you. But nothing is given to you. You can't just assume just because I'm here, just because I'm this age, no entitlement. What do you think each generation can do to better embrace each other? Communicate. Communicate, talk with each other, share. Uh, there are things that I learned from the, as a supervisor. My younger people, they taught me how to do the internet. They taught me how to do things like that. But my father taught me, you look a man in his eye. You don't talk to his head. You don't talk to his hand. You don't talk to his feet. You look a man in the eye. All of this texting, no. Social media, no. Social media doesn't influence me. I think we would be better off putting ourselves in the other person's place and trying to imagine what we would do had we come about that way and have a better understanding. Well, let's see. I'm 77 years old, and uh, my name is Neil Westbrooks. I was born here in St. Louis at Homogee Hospital, went to Sumner High. Okay, so you're before 1945? Oh, yeah. Okay, so I think that that's silent generation. I'm the silent generation. What do you think each generation can do to better embrace each other? Listen to each other. Definitely do that. I listen to my parents and my grandparents. It's one of the greatest things ever. These kids are so preoccupied now with the computers and iPods. and It takes away a lot because... I was used to sitting around listening to my elders, and it was really informative, especially when it comes to knowing about your race. I learned a lot about different uh, slavery situations and so forth way before they put them in any of the textbooks. My grandmother was phenomenal. And those were a couple of baby boomers, Lisa and Shirley, who were born between 1946 and 1964, as well as there at the end, a member of the silent generation who talked to Tonina Saputo. And go figure, my generation was AWOL when Tonina was out there talking to people. Statistically, there are fewer of us in Generation X. We were born between 1965 and 1980. We're kind of the bust between two booms. And we're convinced that we get neglected in these conversations. Bigger picture, though, uh, how real are these divides between us? Does it make things worse to joke about them. You can join our conversation by calling 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air or email us at talk at stlpublicradio.org. And joining us by phone to discuss this issue is Paul Taylor. He's the author of The Next America, Boomers, Millennials, and the Looming Generational Showdown. He's also a former vice president of the Pew Research Center. Now, Paul, you've written that uh, demographic changes have created an America in which young and old don't look, think, or vote alike. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, uh, we're in a moment in history where uh, we've never had a bigger generation gap, uh, whether you measure it by our demographics, our racial demographics, whether you measure it by our core attitudes toward our social values, our political values, our religious values. Uh, we're just very different. Um, uh, a couple of numbers uh, to illustrate it. Among people 65 and over, uh, about 70% of them are white Christians. Among people 25 and younger, less than 30% are white Christians. Uh, so there's been a religious change, there's been a racial change. 
There are very different attitudes uh, towards issues around immigration, issues around diversity. There are different economic circumstances, as some of, as some of your uh, listeners and uh, the folks you interviewed described. Uh, and it has created some tensions. Uh, the OK Boomer, you know, the, the OK Boomer meme is kind of an opening volley of the younger generation sort of poking fun at the older generation. My own view as someone who is a member of the boomer generation is that some of this fun is richly deserved. I think the younger generation has legitimate complaints about the kinds of stewards my generation has been, the kinds of ancestors we're, we're uh, on the way to begin, although I think the boomers have done a lot of wonderful things as well. It's a complicated picture. But big picture, uh, this is a moment. We, you know, Listen, America is polarized. We know that just from following the news every day. Uh, we're at each other, left and right, Democrat and Republican. But w- w- increasingly, you see these, these play out along generational lines. I'm not sure where it leads, but it's a reality of America at the moment. Now, Paul, I, I just have to follow up on something you said. You said that OK Boomer feels like the opening volley um, in mm. people kind of mocking your generation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yet to me, it, it kind of feels like a direct response to all the vitriol that's been directed at millennials. You know, supposedly they're spending all their you rent money on avocado toast. Isn't this yeah. just kind of their attempt to, to fire back after some of the fire uh, they've taken? I, I totally agree with that. And again, speaking as a boomer and in many ways a proud boomer, but I think a self-aware boomer. My generation has been waging generation war as the aggressor our whole lives. When we were young, when we were in our teens and 20s, boy, we went after the old and, you know, never trust anybody over 30 and and the kind of a middle finger to our elders uh, around cultural issues, uh, uh, political issues, the Vietnam War, et cetera, et cetera. As we've gotten older, you can make the argument we've been waging a war against the young in our public policies, in, in, in leaving an enormous amount of debt for our children and grandchildren to try to cope with, in not being good stewards of the economy, uh, of, of, of the earth and the climate, et cetera, et cetera. So I do think that uh, a lot of the, uh, there has been aggression of old toward young, and yes, as you point out, the old tend to mock the young these days. What's wrong with them? Why they have their noses in their in their smartphones, why don't they interact with human beings, why don't they work as hard as we did. Now listen, you know, old people have been complaining about kids today since the beginning of time. So not all of this is, is new, uh, but the fact that young, young and young folks have been rebelling against old folks, so old folks uh, mm-hmm. since the beginning of time. So, so these are patterns that uh, play out again and again. And, and, uh, but I, as I said earlier, I think this one is playing out in a moment in our history where there are enormous uh, demographic, political, and social divides between the generations of, of, of an ilk we have not seen in 240 years. Well, we do actually have a, a second guest here who's with us today in studio, and, and he's got a different take, um, and that guest is Court Rudolph. He's an associate professor of psychology at St. Louis University. And Court, I know that you feel like labels like millennial and boomer are more arbitrary than helpful. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And help us understand your point of view. I think that the kind of shorthand that Paul's talking about here, um, a lot of us just take it for granted. We're so used to talking about my generation sure. versus my father's generation. Where are we going astray here? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's an incredibly common way of identifying, right? Um, and it's convenient. It gives us sort of a, a quick label to put on a group of people. We can use it to classify others. We can use it to classify ourselves. 
I'm not sure I necessarily agree that we're seeing all these major differences between these different generational groups. Um, if, you, if you dig into the research on this topic, what you see uh, pretty quickly is that a lot of the ways in which these differences are studied don't necessarily lend themselves to unambiguous conclusions. And so what we see from this work is that, you know, sometimes we see these massive differences and sometimes we see very small differences, but in the aggregate, the differences are actually rather small hmm. um, for a variety of, 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 of attitudes and values and behaviors, we, we really don't see very many differences between generations at all. Give us an example of something um, that we might look at that you feel is overblown. Sure. So for example, I'm in, uh, I study work behavior as a psychologist. And so one thing that we talk, t- talk about in, in this area is uh, work values, how we approach our work uh, on a day-to-day basis. And so the evidence, for example, for generational differences in work values um, suggests that there's not a big difference between dif- uh, different generations in the way that they approach their work. Hmm. Paul Taylor, um, do you think Cord is on to something here that, that maybe we're so busy looking for the exciting um, soundbite that we're missing the fact that we're more alike than not? Well, let me give you an example of some pretty unambiguous differences. Let's go back to the last national election, the 2018 midterm a year ago. And here you can break down with exit polls how people voted by age. Among Americans 50 and over, uh, there was a 50-50, almost exactly a 50-50 split between whether they voted for whoever the Democratic candidate for Congress was in their district versus whoever the Republican candidate. Among voters 30 and under, uh, uh, voters were 35 percentage points more likely to vote for the Democratic candidate than the Republican candidate. In the history of our elections, there has never been an age divide that big. Now, some people say, yeah, well, people start out liberal and then they become more conservative, and that's true for some generations. It's not true for all generations. For most of the 90s and early aughts, there was no generational divide in how people voted uh, uh, for, for president or for Congress. So this is new. America is changing. Technology is changing America in terms of behaviors, but I think more importantly, uh, 50 years of our modern immigration wave is changing America. And we are now in America, 60 million newcomers have come here in the last 50 years, nine in 10 of them are non-white. These immigrants and now increasingly their children are part of who we are. We're in America where the old skew white uh, and conservative, and the young skew brown and progressive, and they just have different outlooks on lots of things. Doesn't mean they have different outlooks about all things. And I, I take uh, your other guest point about work attitudes. I, as I look at the data, I don't see as many sharp differences there, hmm. but I certainly see a sharp differences in terms of economic circumstances, in terms of economic outlook, in terms of uh, degree of religiosity, uh, in terms of attitudes about things like diversity, like immigration, in terms of marriage. My goodness, uh, 50 years ago, the average age of uh, first marriage was 21 and 22 for women and men. Now it's 28 and 29. Court, um, a huge difference. Cutting in That's here, some of, these, some of these demographic changes that uh, Paul is describing sure. here, that can't help but sort of change somebody's worldview when you're, you're yeah. getting married so much later, or if you have a significantly different racial composition yeah, than sure. the generation that came before. I think we need to be really careful about interpreting those differences as indicative of generational differences, though. Um, Um, I think even the caller would agree with me that it's not simply age that we can bifurcate. Mm -hmm. Um, Simply observing age differences at one time point 
don't really give us this picture of this really complex interaction that would need to occur for uh, there to be like a generational effect, like difference effect. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you can, you can argue about, uh, about age-related data all the time, but age and generations can't really be distinguished in that way. So, so you think if we were controlling for some of these other factors, oh, some know. of these differences <laughs> might be erased? I, I think about these issues a lot. I don't want to get too into the weeds about it, but yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a very complicated picture that's not so simple as just bifurcating age. So I have to give Paul Daler some credit. As he says, he himself is a baby boomer, and he's laughing at this idea of, okay, boomer. Sure. He's, he does not find this offensive. But I know that, Court, you have said you think that jokes like this, this is not right. Sure. Tell us why. Well, it's, uh, I mean, so the thing about, this is my perspective on generations, and it's, it's, it's interesting to think about. Um, it's, it's in some respects some kind of way of thinly veiling ageism. Um, it's reasonably, uh, I guess, acceptable, socially acceptable to talk about generations, boomers and millennials and whatnot, and to draw differences between them to make it seem like there's a divide here, right? Um, but at some level, it's, it's, it's just an ageist kind of sentiment. Um, and so it does present itself as this sort of socially acceptable way of discriminating against people on the basis of age. And I think that's there's some danger to so that. So we're just kind of dismissing people saying, hey, you're old, stop talking. Or you're young, stop talking. Yeah, it right. can go both ways. Absolutely. We're talking to Court Rudolph. He's a professor of psychology at St. Louis University. We're also talking to Paul Taylor. He's a former vice president at the Pew Research Center. He's the author of The Next America, Boomers, Millennials, and the Looming Generational Showdown. Now, Court, I know you're an industrial psychologist you have a special focus on the aging workforce. You're looking at making a better workplace experience for people. I got to say, though, as a former manager, it was kind of helpful to me to understand, um, you know, this idea of millennials mm, want mm. to be praised, things like that. <laughs> I did find kind of helpful as I was trying to manage millennials. Sure. In some ways, are these generational categories um, helpful? Well, let's use that example because it's a good example. So millennials want to be praised. I mean, this is sort of a blanket statement, right? It would assume that all members of this specific generation thrive on praise. And I, I would suspect that there are people in this generation and of all generations that thrive on praise. But I would also suspect that there are people that kind of just want to do their work you know, you can, they don't need constant, you know, micromanagement and, and, and praise uh, bestowed upon them. So it, it, you know, this sort of generalization that all people want something is it's 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 not nuanced enough. Right. It doesn't. Paul Taylor, do you feel like the research speaks to the idea that one should manage a millennial differently, maybe than one would manage a baby boomer? You know, I don't want to go uh, above my pay grade or stretch my credentials. Uh, I, I've, I've, I've heard that stereotype uh, about millennials, and I've talked to a lot of people who repeat it. I think your other guest makes exactly the right point. Let's be very careful about making generalizations that allegedly apply to everybody in a generation. Of course, that's, of course, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think, uh, you know, uh, I, you can track a, a lot of systemic uh, institutional uh, responses. The, the participation trophy has become, you know, one way to describe this. Now, uh, that exists. I, I mean, I mean uh, schools and, and to some degree, I think employers have adapted their behaviors, uh, I think, in response to the felt need for that kind of feedback. Does it apply to everybody? Of course not. Uh, is there a general trend in that direction that, that from the point of view of a, of, of a supervisor, is probably useful to know and, and figure out ways to make the best of it? I think there is a, a reality there. Uh, but again, this is really not my field. 
That, that's a fair point. Um, mm-hmm. Court, anything you'd want to say um, in response? Yeah, no, I would agree. Absolutely. It's a felt need. Um, we see these labels everywhere. And so uh, if we assume there's differences that exist between generations, then there's this impetus to manage them in some way. Um, that could be very benign, right? Mm-hmm. It might have no impact. But if you start to treat people differently, uh, I'm going to still use the workplace as an example. If you start to treat people differently in the workplace on the basis of age, I mean, there's there's legislation that protects people who are uh, aged 40 and over their mm-hmm. uh, Age Discrimination and Employment Act. The interesting thing is that millennials now, this malign generation that needs all this praise, uh, sometime in the in next year, the first millennials will be covered by the Age Discrimination and Employment Act. They'll be 40 years old. Wow. So... All these like stereotypes that come along with being a millennial will now become part of this protected class of people. So I think we need to keep that kind of in mind as well. I guess it goes to what Paul was saying earlier that, um, you know, these things do change over time. And at one point, the baby boomers, they were the ones railing against authority. And now younger people are railing against them. Paul, we're looking ahead to this Generation Z. Um, They're basically 23 and younger at this point. What do we know about them? How will their entry into the workforce um, begin mixing things up even further? Well, what we know is uh, to start with race, they will be uh, our first majority non-white generation. They have a set of attitudes around racial diversity, which they see not as a problem to be overcome, but a core value to be celebrated. Um, uh, I think that they may not be, I mean, it's early days yet in terms of trying to understand their economic behaviors and aspirations, but compared with coming into the workforce now versus coming into the workforce a decade ago when a lot of millennials were coming in, mm-hmm. I think uh, they may have a, a more positive set of experiences. Remember, we had the, the deep recession. We had we were 9 10% unemployment rates. Today, we're much, much lower. On the other hand, they're also coming into an economy uh, where the gig economy is an increasing part of how one navigates the world. Uh, and the gig economy can be tough to grab hold of. It doesn't offer the kind of security, et cetera. So, um, uh, you know, it's early days yet. Uh, we, we, we do know, the one thing we know for certain is who they are in terms of their uh, uh, racial characteristics, and uh, they, are, uh, they are the inflection point in a country that is on its way to becoming a majority non-white country. Well, Paul Taylor, author of The Next America, Boomers, Millennials, and the Looming Generational Showdown. Thank you so much for joining us today. Pleased to be with you. And Court Rudolph of St. Louis University, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWNU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.